Thank you, Ben. As I was, we were singing that one song, I thought about something I heard Dr. Rogers say in a message this past week. He said, you know how you get a stain out? Scissors, that's how you get a stain out. <laughs> you know how God gets stains out? The triple detergent of Christ. He removes sins, iniquities, and transgressions. Glory, hallelujah. He paid it all and He is risen indeed. And He's coming back to get us. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I pray you do. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Turn to the 28th chapter of Matthew. This is our final installment, so to speak, in our Easter 2019 series, Instead of Me. We've looked at the fact that Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, accused, and punished for me. And this morning, the message is entitled, Alive in Me. So we're seeing ourselves in these stories. And to get us thinking well this morning, I want to ask you, what would you say are the greatest sports calls of all time? As you're thinking about that, I'll give you what I found. This one I remember in my living room when this one happened. Braves win, Braves win, Braves win, Braves win. Skip Carey when Sid Breen come lumbering around third base and slid into home. Sent the Braves to the World Series over the Pirates. I'm sure, Coach, you remember Giants win the pennant? Yeah, Russ Hodges. Russ Hodges, he's right. Shot heard around the world. And then, y'all remember this one? I was watching this one too. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle, the Music City Miracle. And that was Mike Keith in the 2000 wild card game that beat the Bills, came back. Coach, remember Down Goes Frazier? Yeah. Howard Cosell. Noah, I threw this one in there for you. Had to find one for Noah. Bird, Bird from the corner. Johnny Most when Bird led the Celtics to beat the Trailblazers. And the first time Gonzaga ever came onto the stage, the slipper still fits. That was when they beat Florida in the 1999 Sweet 16. Do you know the greatest sports call of all time? Al Michaels. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. 1980 Olympics when the U.S. hockey team beat the Russians to go on and then beat, uh, I believe it was Sweden, in the gold. Finland. Finland. So Al Michaels' call 38 years later still stands as the greatest sports call of all time. And I think we can learn two things from it. One, we're more apt to believe in a miracle in a boxing ring on a football or baseball field, a basketball court or a hockey rink in America because it's on our TVs than we are to believe in a miracle in a tomb in Jerusalem because it's in our Bibles. Ask somebody, did you hear about the Braves last night? They were down 7-0, came back and won 8-7. He'll say, man, that's a miracle. And you tell him, you know Jesus is risen from the dead? No, that's a fairy tale. Number two is Al Michaels' question, I think, stands as perhaps the greatest question of not only our generation, but each and every generation. Do you believe in miracles? The Christian faith is by definition a faith of miracles. The incarnation, the virgin birth, the resurrection. If you don't believe in miracles, you're going to have a hard time believing in Christianity. But the more important thing is you may gain the whole world and lose your soul. You see, the greatest miracle is not the Music City miracle. It is not the miracle on ice, but it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the second greatest is, Miss Pam has had its Amazing how God works things out and that y'all 
uh, sang this song before uh, y'all sang it and I already had this message put together. There's a miracle in every pew. Vic and I talked about it this week. Do you think God still does miracles today? Yes. Looking at the Bible, people say, well, I don't think He still does miracles today. Well, I know He does miracles because every day I get up and look in the mirror, there is one. Because Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old Buffy Cook is dead and buried, and he's in the baptistry at uh, Liberty Baptist Church, never to be resurrected. Glory, hallelujah. And so as we read Matthew's account of the miracle of resurrection this morning, we can almost hear him like Al Michaels asking, do you believe in miracles? He first recounts the realities of Jesus' resurrection, and the evidences we're going to look at this morning is overwhelming, yet people today continue to turn a blind eye to it just as they did then. Second, he recites the reactions to Jesus' resurrection. They were as varied then as they are today. And so I'm going to ask you, do you believe in miracles? When we react in faith to believe the miracle of Jesus' resurrection and receive Him as Savior and Lord, an even greater miracle takes place. Jesus comes to live in me and you and us. And then we have the power to not only live eternally, but to live victoriously and abundantly. Jesus then instead of me, and now He's alive in me. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Matthew 28. We'll read the whole chapter. And after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Amen. Amen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Y'all seen that meme the first day in heaven? I can't imagine though what it must have been like that first resurrection morning when they saw Jesus and fell at his feet. Hmm. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see him. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Word of God and the people of God and the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and Father, as Jimmy said, we do, this morning we do not serve a pile of bones or a pile of ashes. We don't serve a dead God sitting on a shelf. 
We serve a risen Savior. And Father, we know because of your promise that you are here with us this morning. And Father, we glorify you that your son died for our sins. He was buried and then just as he said, three days later, he was raised from the dead. And Father, he gives us the promise for all that put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross and that truth. And confess that, Father, that we are as already as good as raised from the dead even though we still are living, Father. And so we thank you for that promise today. Father, we trust your promise in your word that your word will not return void. And so we ask, Father, that you will use it now and your messenger to accomplish the purpose that you would have it to accomplish this morning in each and every life that is here. For he asks this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to look first at the realities of Jesus' resurrection. It's been well said that Jesus' resurrection is a miraculous feat, F-E-A-T. We're going to briefly consider the F and T and then kind of laser beam in on the E and the A, which is what Matthew focuses on here in his account. The F stands for fatal torment. And I really just have this in here for completeness sake. This is, there's a theory that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He simply fainted or swooned, and that's actually taught in the Koran. As a well-learned man, I consider that preposterous. Geisler says the evidence for Christ's death is greater than that for almost any other event in the ancient world. And let me just give you four quick proofs. One, I can send you to us, and that's the first proof is the science of the crucifixion. You can go and Google JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, 1986, an article on the physical death of Jesus Christ, and it details there what the crucifixion of Christ would have involved in the very last line it says anyone who says that Jesus didn't die are at odds with modern medical knowledge the only people who will deny it are the very ones that want to put their faith and trust in science to begin with I mean it'd be like putting Bob in a tomb with stage 4 pancreatic cancer or bubonic plague or a severed femoral artery and not giving medical attention and then when he comes out of the uh, tomb alive you say well he didn't die he just fainted. You'd be like "Mm mm-hmm I got some oceanfront property for you down in Arizona. You looking to buy it? Second is the Romans were expert executioners and they pronounced Jesus dead. You remember Pilate says he was shocked that Jesus had died so early They were not going to let anybody off of the cross until they were not only dead, but good and dead. That's thus why the soldier thrust the spear into Jesus' side to be sure that he was dead. So they were expert executioners. They pronounced he was dead. The Jews never disputed Jesus' dead body was buried as we looked at here. They had to come up with an alternate uh, uh, account. And then non-Christian writers recorded Jesus' death, such as uh, Josephus. So Jesus suffered fatal torment and was buried. The T is transformed lives. In his uh, book, uh, Morrison, Who Moved the Stone, he focuses in on three people. First, Peter. Think about Peter. He went from denying the Lord, cursing, saying, I don't even know that guy, to standing up and saying, you killed Jesus. You denied the Holy One, the righteous one, and you killed him. Second is James, which was Jesus' brother. He literally went to Jesus and said, Look, Jesus, you got to knock this stuff off. You know, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. He went from that to the leader of the Jerusalem church. How did that happen? Because he saw the resurrected Christ. That's how it happened. And then third is Paul. Paul went on one extreme to the other. 
He went from killing Christians to being the greatest Christian that we have in Scripture outside of Christ, obviously. And so the E is empty tomb. And now we're going to spell out empty tomb. So if you want to write somewhere in your notes or grab another piece of paper, we're going to spell out empty tomb. J.D. Greer mentions that he went to Israel and viewed the tombs of Jesus and he notes that archaeologists narrowed the tombs down to one of two locations. There's a traditional site in the garden tomb and he tells of going to visit them and kind of the differences between the two but he says they have one thing in common. You know what that one thing is that they have in common? They're empty. There ain't no dead body in there as we would say. You can go find the bones of Muhammad. You can go find the bones of Buddha. You cannot find the bones of Jesus Christ because He is not dead. He is risen. So we're going to use this word empty tomb to literally spell out the evidence. The E is esteem. E-S-T-E-E-M. Think about in our country, our world today. If someone dies, a great person dies, we make a memorial of that, do we not? The tomb of the unknown soldier, the Taj Mahal, the pyramids in Egypt. J.P. Moreland points out that there were 50 such places in Palestine and yet there was no evidence that this was ever the case with regards to Jesus' tomb. You know why they didn't venerate it? There wasn't anything to venerate about it because it was empty. The M is manifesto. Look at Matthew 28, verse 13. and said, Now you go tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now I don't know how much money they gave these guys, but it had to have been a lot of money. You know why? Because them to say, Hey, we fell asleep on the job and this guy got out would mean that they would potentially be killed. And not only to mention that, do you think you could sleep? I mean, I can sleep through a lot of stuff. My wife can vouch to that. I've joked that I could sleep through a tornado coming through my bedroom, although I really probably couldn't sleep through that. I don't know that I'm going to sleep through a grave robbery of 12 guys coming to steal Jesus when I'm literally four foot from it. I'm going to wake up. And then secondly, how do you know what happened while you were asleep? I mean, I asked my son, how did it work out for you studying for that Dicky Q uh, test while you were sleeping? It didn't work out too good, did it? You don't know what's going on when you're asleep. So how do you know the disciples came and stole the body? I mean, this thing is just ridiculous. But this is the only thing that the Jewish Supreme Court, the only thing that they could come up with. This was their manifesto. Alright, the P is that it was preached in Jerusalem. Could you imagine back, when was it, 90s I think it was, the O.J. Simpson case happened? Could you imagine going to the people of Los Angeles and saying, now look, we know good and well that O.J. did not have a trial down here in Los Angeles just a couple of weeks ago. They would have looked at you like you were crazy. Within hours, they were preaching the resurrection of Christ. You know where? in the most difficult place to preach in Jerusalem. And within weeks, it was common knowledge to all of Jerusalem. As one gentleman said, without having a reliable testimony for the emptiness of Jesus' tomb, the early Christian community could not have survived in Jerusalem 
proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. That's exactly what they did. You know why? Because the tomb is empty. And then T is theology. First, I'll give you two things, myth and Messiah. Look again at verse 13. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. So let's just go with that for a second. What do you think the disciples had to gain by doing that? <coughs> Nothing. What did they have to lose? <coughs> Everything. Not to mention their pre-Christian religion taught them that to lie in such a way was to risk eternal damnation. You think they were going to risk that? No. And then M is Messiah. Think about it. What did kind of Messiah were they looking for? One to save them from the Romans. One that was victorious. Not one that died like this and then was resurrected and was going to give a spiritual kingdom. Because you remember even when Jesus goes to ascend, what did they say? Are you going to now restore the kingdom to Israel? So it was completely at odds with their theology, the empty tomb. So the why is yield. What did the disciples hope to gain by this hoax? Warren has a book called Cold Case Christianity. He's a homicide detective and he investigates the evidence and the claims of the Christian faith including mostly the resurrection. And he says there's three motives behind every murder and essentially all misbehavior. Money, sex, and power. Did the disciples gain any of that? Think about money from a standpoint. No. They were broke. They end up destitute. And then with regards to sex, they were married, yes, but if uh, read some historical accounts, they actually committed themselves to abstinence even though they were married to focus on ministry. And then you think they got any power? They were killed. And so their yield was nothing. Alright, and then tomb. So that's empty tomb. The T is tenacity. And let me ask you, if you were going to impact the world, a tsunami that would affect the whole planet Earth, how big of an earthquake would that require? Pretty big. Anything beyond what anything we've ever seen, right? Now, you've got Peter, and you've got Matthew, and you've got John, and these other men. Does that island of misfit toys seems like the earthquake that you need to impact the then known world? What you know about their life? No. The reason is that transformed them from cowardly to tenacious was that the tomb was empty. Alright, the O is officials. I mean, think about what they had to lose. When Peter stands up and says, you killed Jesus, their reputation was at stake. Couldn't they have just thrown a big bucket of water on this fire that was starting to emerge called Christianity? You know why they couldn't? Because the tomb was empty. M is multiplication. What do you think convinced one person after another that these Christians were right and the priests were wrong? I mean, they essentially went to the higher-ups, the most educated people would be like me and Noah going to Harvard and trying to debate with those guys. I don't think it's going to work out too well for either one of us. Or what about trying to take down the Chinese military, the most powerful force in the world? How were they able to do that? How was it able to multiply because the tomb was empty? And then the B is break. 
The first public statement of Jesus' resurrection was actually seven weeks after the crucifixion according to Acts 2. If you knew Jesus was raised, wouldn't you go proclaim it from the housetops straight away? So why seven week gap? As Morrison says, the romancer can mold his incidents to fit his purpose. The biographer must take what life gives him. Alright, the A is appearances. We just read, who does uh, Jesus appear to first? In Matthew 28. Women. An empty tomb and transformed lives is not a resurrection make. You must have eyewitness testimony. See it with your own eyes, right? Well, the last people you would pick were women because they were not even considered capable of giving valid testimony. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. Paul wrote that, and he wrote that around 55 AD. 20 years after Jesus was resurrected, he said, if you don't believe me, go ask those guys. I dare you. He'll confirm what I did. So I'm kind of closing up or finishing up this section here on the realities of Jesus' resurrection. Robert Ingersoll, who's a a famed atheist, he says, is there an intelligent man or woman now in the world who believes in the Garden of Eden story? And I think he would say, by implication, Jesus' resurrection. Listen to what he says. If there is, strike here, and you'll hear an echo, something is for rent. In other words, he's saying, you're brainless if you believe that Jesus is risen. Well, the the professor of modern history at Oxford, Dr. Thomas Arnold, says, I know of no other fact on the history which is proved by better and fuller evidence than this one. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. One of my favorites is Charles Colson. Y'all know him? Coach, you remember him from Watergate? He said, How do you think that the men of Watergate who were embroiled in the scandal couldn't keep a lie for a few days, a few weeks, but yet these 12 apostles kept alive for 40 years. He says the fact that they kept something like that and the strongest men in America couldn't keep alive for two weeks proves to me Jesus is risen. And so do you believe in miracles? What are you going to do with the evidence? And so that's what we're going to look at, the, resur- the reactions to Jesus' resurrection there are five. The first one is the women responded with fear and great joy. Look at Matthew 28, verse 8. So they, the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Well, why would you react with fear? You ever seen a dead man come back? I haven't. It kind of caused some awe and reverence, wouldn't it? And wouldn't you be with great joy. Jesus who you love, you thought was dead, is now alive. And so Jesus is risen, which means this, guilt doesn't have the last word. Apart from Jesus, you know how we stand? Condemned. In Him, you know how we stand? Justified. So many times I share Romans 8.1 with patience. Now therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He's sunk them to the bottom of the ocean. So guilt doesn't have the last word. It can rest in peace. And then injustice doesn't have the last word. How many of you think life on this old dusty earth is unfair at times? What a day that will be 
my, my Savior I shall see, my Jesus I shall see. He's going to set everything that's wrong right. Amen? Amen. He's going to redeem this world. Amos 5.24 will be forever true. Justice will roll down forever. And then justice doesn't have the last word. It can rest in peace. And then third, particularly for our county, addictions don't have the last word. Romans 6, you could entitle Dead to Sin, Alive in Christ. Listen to what Dr. Adrian Rogers said. You know what so many people want with Jesus? I've said it before. They just want a fire insurance policy. They just want to be saved from hell. That's all they really are concerned with is way out yonder in the future. You need to quit worrying about way out yonder in the future and you need to see what's wrong with your life now and the devastation and destruction you're causing not only yourself but other people. And you cannot change that in your own power. It's only as Christ changes you. Adrian Rogers said that people get in their mind Jesus came to save them from hell. He came to save you from sin. And if He can't save you from sin, He can't save you from hell. But because He's raised, then I have the power to defeat all those things that wanted to eat at me and destroy me. And so addictions don't have the last word. They can rest in peace and pain doesn't have the last word. You know how many funerals I've preached in 2019 alone? More than weddings I've done. I mean, think about the prayer requests we have. I mean, just the warmest alone and what they've been through. The pain that they're going through. The pain of miscarriages. The pain of Alzheimer's. I pray Jesus comes back or He just sees it in His grace and mercy to take me on out of here before I get Alzheimer's like my dear grandmother. Think of all the pain. Suicides. Overdoses. Everything we love falls apart. Maybe you've experienced this pain. Maybe you haven't even gotten over it. The resurrection says there will be a day and pain doesn't have to have the last word in our life. And then despair doesn't have to have the last word. I bet if you wouldn't walk the aisles of Walmart today after church and stopped and asked a hundred random people if they felt hopeless, how many of you think would say yes? Hmm. Patty said over half. I'd have to agree. As long as Jesus is alive, there is hope. Amen. Amen. I love 1 Peter 1.3 says He's not just hope, He is the living hope. You know why He's the living hope? Because He's raised from the dead and the tomb is empty. So despair doesn't have the last word. It can go rest in peace. And then death doesn't have the last word. As we were singing that song, Beulah Land, I can't hear that song or even somebody say Beulah Land without thinking of John Paul Smith singing that song at Liberty Baptist Church. And then as I think of Liberty Baptist Church, you know what I rejoice in this morning? Not only that Jesus is risen, but I rejoice that Miss Brenda Smith is sitting up there at His feet. And George Penner's up there with his little short tie and his <laughs> pants that are way up to here and he's telling Jesus what light pole needs to get fixed. <laughs> but so is Nanny Ruth Cook. And so are babies that we've lost. That one day, you'll get the hook. Death don't have the last word. It's been defeated by our God. 
Do you believe in miracles? Since Jesus is risen, all this stuff that causes us grief, you know what? It ain't got nothing to tell us. Number two, the chief priests, they close their eyes to the evidence. Look at Matthew 28, 12-14. When they'd assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And like I said, it better have been a lot. And said, hey, why don't you go tell people the disciples came and stole him away while we were asleep. Again, I don't know how you know what's going on while you're asleep. So instead of searching for the truth, they pay these guards to lie. They come up with the most ridiculous story imaginable. The disciples stole the body. You know why? Because they don't want the resurrection to be true. Did you hear that? You know why? Because they do not want the resurrection of Christ to be true. You know why? They don't like the implications of the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Because here's a couple of implications of the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Number one is, Jesus is Lord. And He doesn't want control of my life. He doesn't ask me. I mean, these uh, stickers are ridiculous that God is my co-pilot. No, He ain't. He is your pilot. He is Lord. And He demands control over your life. And so you know what that means? His agenda trumps mine. You know what that means? His authority supersedes mine because it says down here that He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And you know what it means? I can't enjoy my pet little sins that I want to enjoy. It means I can't spend my money and my time like I want to because Jesus is risen and Lordship over my life is dead in the grave. Number two is I can't boast of anything. And that was the problem with these Pharisees. They boasted in everything that they did. They had a longer prayer shawl than everybody else. They prayed longer. They prayed better. They were more righteous. They even tied their pickles in their garden. They even tied their basil in their garden. I mean, they were better and holier than everybody. But when Jesus is risen from the dead, all that pride is flushed. It's gone. Deeply ingrained in each of us is a desire to be better than everybody else. We like to think of ourselves as this. Better looking, stronger, smarter, richer, that we got more toys, that we got more education, that I'm a better preacher, that I'm a better Christian, that I'm more righteous than you. When I went to medical school, it quickly thought, I thought I was a smart dude. When I went to medical school, it quickly taught me I was not so smart. I was not the smartest person in the classroom. I can't boast of anything. You know why I'm so bad? Jesus had to die for me. And I lack so much goodness that I had to borrow Jesus. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care if you're in the White House or on death row, it's the same. And you know what that is? That's a very hard pill for people to swallow. Because deep down inside, we're prideful and we want to be better than everybody else. Belief in Jesus requires a serious dose of humility. And third, I ain't so smart. There are things Jesus is doing. Is there things that Jesus is doing on this earth? Are there things that Jesus is doing in your life right now and you go, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. This don't make a hill of beans of sense. I don't know what's going on. Why don't you send me a text message and tell me exactly what's going on? 
Come on, you know, when uh, uh, Joe Osteen's on the TV, just zap him out and you come on the TV, Lord, and you tell me what's going on, what you want me to do with my life. I want it all spelled out in nice little letters. And I want it to make sense. Like I talked about in Sunday school, what we don't like is a God that we can't fit in a box, that we can't fit inside our pea-sized little brains. And so when God acts outside the box, you know what we do? We get mad. And you know who we get mad at? We get mad at God. Because He didn't do what I wanted Him to do. Well, if Jesus is risen from the dead, then Isaiah 55, 8-9 is true, that His ways and His thoughts are higher than mine are. And I have to acknowledge that He knows what He's doing, and I don't. And that's a hard pill to swallow for people that are intellectuals or type A's. So if you believe in miracles, or you like the chief priests, in your heart you're convinced that what happened with Jesus is true, but you don't like the implications, and so you turn a blind eye to the evidence. Number three is the soldiers. They responded with fear without joy. Look at Matthew 28, verse 4 and 5. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now you talk about slave and spirit, like we talked about this morning in Sunday school. Became like dead men don't mean that they fell down. That means they was out. Look at 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Of all people who should have been convinced of this truth, who was it? These guys. Most of them did nothing with it. They just took the dough and kept their mouth shut. Why would they turn their backs on it? Because the distractions of life have a way of keeping us from considering the most important questions. Y'all remember me sharing, maybe I think I shared it already with a gentleman that I saw a couple weeks ago and he had, was really, really sick and was there to follow up on being in the hospital and in rehab and he told me the whole story and then his wife's sitting over there in the corner and she's going. Now telling the rest, I'm thinking, uh-oh, man, this guy's already had all this. What more was there? He said, oh yeah, while I was in rehab, a preacher came by and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I said, well, man, I must have fell down on my job because I've been taking care of you for 20 years. I said, I guess I just, did I not ever talk to you about that? And his wife goes, oh, you did. He just didn't listen. <laughs> you know why he turned a blind eye to it? Because other stuff was more important. You know why these soldiers took the money and run? Because other stuff was more important. Listen to me, young people. I'll buy in the, in the sound booth. Guys, listen to me. Do you know the most important question you'll ever consider? Brayden, do you know what's the most important question that you will ever consider, son? It is not what college you will go to. Matthew, it is not what city you will live in, son. Kayla does not what to do with your life or who to marry or if you want to have kids and if so, how many? It is simply this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? That is the most important question that anyone will ever answer. 
And can I tell you something? Each and every one of you that is here today, God brought you here today for a reason. Because each and every one of you is going to have to stand before a three-time holy God and give an answer to that question. Your mama's not going to stand up there. Your daddy's not going to stand up there. You alone are going to stand there and give an account of that. Here's the thing, since Jesus is raised from the dead, He can give me joy even in the hardest times of life. He holds the key to meaning and fulfillment in life. It ain't what some college professor is going to tell you, Caleb, about how to find fulfillment and meaning in life. You already know where it's at. It's in Jesus Christ, your Lord. And He gives you hope and joy even in the face of death. Our dear sister back here was talking about a family facing an esophageal cancer diagnosis. Pray that God will heal that young man. I tell you, through that situation, you know how they're going to make it through that situation? Because they know the Lord. And because He is risen. And if God does not heal Buffy Cook on this side of eternity, He will heal him on the other. And in that moment, I'll be more alive than I ever was when I walked these streets. Fourth is the disciples. They worship through their doubts. Look at verse 17. I mean, you've got to love the Bible's honesty. You know it? I mean, you look at verse 17 and you either find that strange and embarrassing and ridiculous or you find that encouraging, comforting, and amazing. That some worshipped Him, but some doubted. Acts 1, 10-11, even after Jesus started to ascend, they're still like, I don't know. I've seen them magic shows down there on 1st Street in Jerusalem. I don't know about this. How could they doubt? Because what Jesus is doing is completely foreign to them. It's confusing. They still had questions. Have you ever had the same? We talked about it this morning, didn't we, Coach? Do you have every doctrine of Scripture? Yep, got that, and I ain't got any questions about it. Well, if you do, come help me, because there's still a bunch of them I got questions about. Amen? Here's the thing, that's the part of being in a family, of being in a church, is to come and be accountable in a small group and to say, look, man, the devil's dancing on my head. I got this doubt. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if this, I don't know if that. Help me out. And that's what we're here for. And if you're visiting, I ask you to come back week after week after week so we can help you through those things. Finally is us who received the Great Commission. If you had to pick one verse that was Jesus' manifesto, why He came, could you do it? Somebody said, Jimmy Hicks, sum up the Bible in one verse. Why did Jesus come? So that you could pick Luke 19.10, Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. As Jimmy shared, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And that's what we come to remember this morning, His body and His blood shed for us. But do you think Jesus meant for it to stop right there and in the first century? He meant for it to go out to the ends of the earth, didn't He? And that's what He says there in Matthew 28, 6. He's not here for He is risen. As He said, come see the place where He lay. And He says, I'm going into Galilee. That's a sign of going to the Gentiles. 
to the end of the earth. So if you believe in miracles, how can you keep the miracle of the resurrection of Christ to yourself? Think of it in these terms. If you knew the cure for cancer, Will, I know you know the cure for cancer. Will does know the cure for cancer. If y'all don't know it, Will knows it. Coley's fluid, right? If we had to hear that one time, Dickie Cook, how many times do we have to hear that when that child was growing up? But Will, if you had the cure for cancer, seriously, if Big Pharma came to you and said, I'm going to give you a billion dollars not to release this to the public, would you do it? Marty, you know the cure for cancer of the soul. If they come tomorrow and they tell you, if you one more time say the name of Jesus, we're going to shoot you dead. Would you say the name of Jesus again? Brothers and sisters, when you look around this county, there was an article in the letter this week and Steve Carpenter said that there's as much as 30,000 people, I think it was, in this county that are probably lost and don't know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we have the cure for their problem. Their cure is not the addictions. All that stuff is fluff. What's really down at the heart of it is the cancer of the soul. And we have the cure for it. And I hope, I don't care how much money or how many threats they come and make against us, that we would say it's worth it to go and tell it. The reason Jesus has left us here, y'all heard me say it before, people all the time say, well, I guess God hasn't taken me out. i still got a purpose. Yes, you do. You have a purpose to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. And to tell it to the day you die and have no more breath in your body. Think about this. Here's an amazing thought. You know when Jesus gave this, who was the ends of the earth? I'm looking at it. Think about that. When Jesus gave this commission, Buffy Cook was the end of the earth. And because somebody was willing to fulfill the Great Commission and go and make disciples, you have this man standing in this pulpit today. That being the case, how can we keep silent? In closing, little Johnny... He's six years old. He comes home from school. And he's all excited. And his father asks him why. And he says he learned the story of Passover in school that day. And he was just fascinated by it. So he starts to tell his dad about it. He says Moses was about to take the Jews out of Egypt when suddenly the Israeli Air Force appeared with their thundering jets and bombed Egypt. He said the Egyptian forces sent out their helicopters and the Israeli Air Force shot them down. And then Moses crossed the ocean. Father's kind of amazed at this story and asked his son, he said, now son, is that really the story that they taught you today in school? Little Johnny said, no! But if I told you the real story, you wouldn't believe me. (laughs) Do you believe in miracles? Do you know billions across our planet have heard the real story? that Jesus lives, loves, and saves. And they'd come closer to believing jets existed in 1500 B.C. How sad. But you know what? At this present moment, I can't reach them and I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about you. 
Did Jesus rise from the dead? That's the most important question you'll ever be asked. One you're going to have to give a final answer to. Well, you're a doctor. When do you think that final answer will come? When you take your last breath. Well, how much longer do you think I got? I don't know. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. While you got breath, you better call the Lord to save you. Why would you continue to turn away from the evidence this morning? It's overwhelming. When we believe it, a miracle in every pew takes place. Amen? We don't just say Jesus is risen and that's it. We say He's risen and we now live eternally, victoriously, and abundantly. And we praise the Lord for all that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. Thank You for this time that You've given us to gather together in Your house, Father, and worship You. Father, everything that has been done in this service, we just pray that it's to Your honor and to Your glory and to Your praise. Father, we thank You for the reality that Jesus is risen today. Father, we come reacting in faith to receive that by faith. And Father, because of that, Jesus lives in us. And so we thank You that we can go out not only live forever, Father, but we can live victoriously and abundantly. Live the abundant life and have the abundant life. And Father, have power over sin in our life. And so we thank You for that truth today. As we come to this time of invitation, Father, just pray that You would bless it, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that now will be the appointed time and hour that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name I pray. Amen. Over the past 20 years, it's hard to believe I've been in practice 20 years. I'm old. But you know, over the past 20 years, I've signed more death certificates than I care to remember. And do you know, to some degree, I lied on every one of them? You know how that is? Because I should have signed it in big red letters across the top as the primary cause of death, this. S-I-N. You talk about a hard pill to swallow. I don't know what's going to happen to old Buffy Cook, how I'm going to be out of this world. I just pray Jesus comes back first. But if not, I don't know how it's going to happen. But you know what? It's a sober and humiliating thought to know that it's my own sin that's going to kill me. Now you may find that harsh, and it is harsh. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with God and His Word. Because the Bible is clear that all have sinned come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Do you know the only person in history that's had an accurate death certificate? Jesus Christ. Remember that article I was telling you about, JAMA? It's best surmise that Jesus actually broke, died of a broken heart. You know there couldn't be any sin listed on his death certificate because he had none. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Amen? So remember Jimmy said earlier you can't have the good news without the bad news. That's the bad news. Now I'm going to give you the good news, right? The good news is this. But God showed his love towards us and even while I was cursing God Jesus went to the cross and died for me. And the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when you do that, as John 5, 24 says, 
you pass from death to life. And so come this morning and receive Jesus as Lord if you've never done that in your life as we stand and sing.